But I think the the way to do it is is always to really listen a lot and and try to understand what you're meant to do and what can make a difference to that client, um, and then go from there. And then your accumulation of uh, thoughts and ideas and ingredients as such comes to place to create this language or system. Uh, and it has to be seen very much as a system, not broken parts, but where everything is like orchestrated with each other. So uh, sometimes you you create a brand that is completely led by imagery only. Sometimes you create a brand that is very verbal. Sometimes it's much more about the typography and the expression of that voice there. They have so many different ways. You are listening to One More Question, a podcast by the people of Nice Work. One of the things we often catch ourselves saying is, can we ask you one more question? This podcast is all about sharing that, the best conversations we've had with significant brand builders, experts, and communicators. The people that we've encountered as we go about our work of making people care by creating impactful brands. Season three is focused on unpacking the topic of branding. We talk to people who design brands, own brands, build brands, and even those who hire for brands. We explore what brands look like and how they behave across a wide spectrum, from world-renowned brands with massive budgets like Spotify to companies that are making big waves on small budgets. If you're looking for insights on the best ways to invest in and build your brand, this is the season for you. I'm your host, Ross Drakes. Hello. Today on the podcast, I have the honor of talking to Marina Willer. Marina is the first female partner at Pentagram in London. She's a Brazilian graphic designer and filmmaker with an MA from the Royal College of Art. Marina's designed some of the most identifiable identities like the Tate, Amnesty International, the South Bank Center, Serpentine, Oxfam, and Rolls-Royce. We talk about how to make brave ideas come to life and her method for choosing and working with clients. And finally, the magic that a broad range of interests adds to your work. Enjoy. Well, Marina, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, um, not for the first time, but for the second time. Thank you for, for coming back on, even though we had technical failures the first time around. You're welcome. It's really exciting to be here again. Uh, I remember having a lovely chat with you last time, so hopefully it will be the same again. <laughs> well, well, let's see. I mean, thank you. You know, it, it's it's always amazing to be able to talk to someone whose work you've sort of admired from a long time. I mean, I remember looking at some of your work many years ago, and it, it, I find it very interesting that some of these brands that you worked on years ago are still standing. What do you think? What do you think the difference is between sort of brands that survive a short period of time and brands that that live on for a long time i mean like the tate is is sort of this living breathing entity that hasn't that you set up and has just kept going for for decades so i think um uh we always try to do the the brand journey in a very uh strategic way and and work with the client really closely to understand what is the the need the problem uh why we are doing a brand in the first place and to do what is really uh, an expression of that unique need and client. So it creates a voice that really reflects them and not 
me, for example, or our team. So in doing that, we're always careful also not to do something that just happens to be trendy. I think we all are influenced by each other's work and, and, and the times we live in. And we know there are uh, behaviors that are of our times, and that's fine. And we always try to estimate or foresee what's coming. But at the same time, I think we see that there are certain tricks that are just trendy or fashionable, and they don't last, and they're not perhaps meaningful if you're trying to reflect something that is ongoing. So, you know, that's a consideration often, and trying to do every time things in a different way, even if problems are similar and you draw lots of parallels because the experience gives you that, you know, every time you come again to a similar problem, you've learned something from the previous time. But I think in general, it mm. is, is really being uh, true to the, the, the things that are coming out of the, not just the brief, but the conversations, the workshops, the dialogues that we have that lead to what the brand really needs to do. And that was the case with Tate, which is over 20 years uh, now, the, the, the brand. Um, and uh, I think we are proud, but that, that lots of brands really last a long time. And sometimes they change and you get disappointed because you think, wow, why are you doing that? It's still very, uh, you know, it's very <laughs> relevant. But, you know, sometimes it's to do with a change also of direction in the uh, client side and they have a new team and they want to, you know, make their mark or, or the, the put a vision in place. And that's absolutely natural. I mean, I love the one thought you said there that you try to sort of reflect what the client is and where the client is and not sort of enforce your your perspective or your view on it. How do you, uh, two-part question, how do you get that out of the clients? Because, you know, I think great briefs are not never given. They're always taken, you know, what the client writes down and what you extract are very, very different. And how do you balance extracting that and then also feeding in your experience because you've seen and built and been involved in so many more projects than they have. So they don't necessarily have the, uh, I wouldn't say the language, but the, the deep understanding of the craft of branding to be able to, to feed you those right things. Yeah, I think you're right. We don't, um, we have identities as well and strong voices and uh, they come through the work. I wouldn't say that we are neutral. I think, I think it's a good thing that you can, you know, I think people come to you because they want something that is done in a certain way. I don't mean in a style, but it, you know, there's some kind of way of, uh, thinking or seeing the world that they identify with. Um, and it's only natural that your, uh, identity comes through, but I think you need to also be able to put yourself, um, behind the scenes and and make sure it's the right thing for the you know and you're right we never get a, a brief that is all clear we have to formulate the brief through a series of conversations and research and understanding and then everything that i always talk about how you collect ideas by looking around the world and doing things and sketching and messing about and all of those things form almost a vocabulary of mm. ideas that you then come to use 
Uh, it stays in the sort of library of, of things that everyone has. And the more you see, the more you absorb, the more curious you are, the more um, things you have to offer, I guess, and, and, and to find the right mm. idea for each uh, context, scenario, problem, um, culture, everything. So, uh, yeah, it's a fascinating thing what we do. And sometimes, you know, it's so interesting and deep, but sometimes you also come across clients that don't really get that you're trying to do something much deeper. And uh, and then it gets a bit difficult and, you know, it, it's not always easy. I think that's the that's the <laughs> important to say for any designer. It's, it's, it's not easy, but it's a pleasure and 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 life is like that isn't it there's good days and bad days mm, i love i mean for me the reason that I've, I've kept working for as long as i have is that you get this window into these different worlds and some of the windows you don't like but you don't know that until you sort of open it and climb in there um but i love what you're saying there that you know you've got this way of seeing the world and i'd love to i'd love to understand kind of what is your, when you think about a brand or building a brand, like what is your current way of seeing the world when you think about like what a brand is and what its role is in in society and for the people who are, are building it? Yeah, I think um, firstly, we try to work with people who are more or less like-minded in a certain way and, and understand what you're trying to bring to the world. And, and we create more or less an expression, a language that can express what it is that, you know, they bring to the world. And, and more and more with the, you know, the acceleration of, uh, you know, digital to a, a limit that we never expected with the, you know, pandemic and all of that, how much behavior has changed. I think Everyone participates in everything and you can't quite, um, you know, have the old fashioned view that designer is some kind of genius creating things in their own, on their own. I think we all do things together and, um, but still your experiences and your, your, what you do to create stuff constantly and explore will all, uh, come to inform the brand that you create. But I think that the way to do it is, is always to really listen a lot and, and try to understand what you're meant to do and what can make a difference to that client um, and then go from there. And then your accumulation of uh, thoughts and ideas and ingredients as such comes to place to create this language or system uh, and it has to be seen very much as a system, not broken parts, but where everything is like orchestrated with each other. So uh, sometimes you you create a brand that is completely led by imagery only. Sometimes you create a brand that is very verbal. Sometimes it's much more about the typography and the expression of that voice there. They have so many different ways, but I think one thing is that we know is that brands are so much more participative. Otherwise they don't make it anymore because of the way that we interact like this, that everyone participates much more in decisions and knowing what's going on. And, you know, it's very, 
hard to, there's nowhere to hide. <laughs> so I think it's important that we create systems that are open and, and easy to, uh, to flex and to accommodate uh, audiences as they participate in what you've created. I mean, I love that. I love that thought. How? I mean, can you can you share a little bit about how you design these open systems that allow participation? Because because it definitely is. We live in this era where it's almost like design and and brand critiques has become a a public thing where it used to be quite a a small group of people discussing it, and the majority of people not really even noticing. It's now almost a an event that happens when when a big entity changes its logo. So how do you build that openness into into the work that you do? I think it's, of course, it depends very much on the type of client, but more and more when we work with clients which are very uh, led by a cause, they also want to reflect what they do in the language and it makes sense. So, for example, um, if you're creating a, a, a brand, uh, we try to always understand the role that that brand is and that company or organization plays in the world. So is, it a, is, it a, 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 is this company like a catalyst for change or is this company... A, a, a very strong leading force, a, a strong voice. Like, for example, when we did the brand for Amnesty International, they are fighters, they are leaders. So you have to create a, a, an idea that is very, that has a lead, leading thought. Uh, other brands are very mm. much about opening up and creating spaces, which is very common. You know, we see a lot of designs that are like adaptable now. But I think. I think we shouldn't just do adaptable for the sake of it. We should understand the role that each organization plays and why that brand, what kind of openness is it? So, for example, we are doing a, a, a brand. We just did one for the, I think I mentioned to you before, we've been working with this uh, the front line of the Great Green Wall in Africa. So they're building these incredible planting trees across 11 countries, uh, just a sub-Saharan kind of region. And so we needed to create a system where all these different voices could participate and it's open and it's always changing. Uh, we're doing another one, which is a, a small NGO-like, which promotes a lot of these social changes and projects of that kind. But they are a group of people who... Uh, it's a small group, but they try to help, advise, consult, instigate. So we are creating a different type of open brand for that. We try to understand how do you do it? How do, do you just open up the debate or do you give more leadership or do you kickstart things or do you, do you see what I mean? Or you were really an endorsement mm. kind of uh, organization. And we've, we've been through all these kinds of relationships and, um, uh, every, I think every organization is different. And, and sometimes there are some which are still very hierarchical as well and very closed, but they don't tend to be the, the clients that I work for so much. Even Rolls Royce, which we branded recently and is a very prestigious brand, um, there is an element of change in the language that we created. 
<coughs> so that it works for different conditions, audiences, places, contexts, and uh, still has this element of incorporating change in terms of understanding that there are different lifestyles and we each are, we are all unique and we all have different, you know, ways of living and desires and wishes. And there's not one way of seeing the world anymore. Everything is quite um, flexible, isn't it? And organic and all the rest. I mean, I love, you know, I think what you said earlier is you're looking for a, a lack of vocabulary of ideas. And I suppose, you know, for me, when I look at your work and we look at the Tate identity, which was flexible in its own way, in its own time, you know, I think if digital was stronger then, it would have been a lot more kind of flexible, but it was this dynamic thing and it's carried through into the work that you've done for the Serpentine Gallery was quite flexible. And even the patterning in in Rolls-Royce is quite flexible um, you know, and then Maholi Nagi is almost like the, the 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 furthest flung version of that. But I can see almost this thread of an idea, or this I don't know, an experiment or something that's been running through all of these, and each one is completely distinct and completely unique. But there is almost that that marina thread um, running through them. Is that a deliberate thing, or is this just the evolution of of a? A vocabulary uh, of ideas. Yeah, I think you. It's interesting that you see like that. I never really think because I sometimes look at the work and I think, oh, each project is so different. Um, but I think it's good to have one um, constant uh, way of thinking amongst the very diverse forms of expression. And and I know that I I, I find I sometimes say that ideas find their home because you collect them and then sometimes they live here and then that you find a place to like, like when you learn to make music and you learn lots of instruments and notes, but then when you find the right moment, you create compositions of those different, uh, it's just a much less glamorous thing what we do than being a musician but i think there's a <laughs> there's a logic in there that you bring the you know or you create food in the same way if you know the principles you can create good food and you don't have to read the recipe book every time um i'm not the advanced probably but I, <laughs> it's a very reduced menu with me i guess in the kitchen but <laughs> hopefully a, a wider menu in design <laughs> mm. No, I mean, I think your work, I guess what I was saying was not that it was all the same, but there's a, it's almost like I can, uh, my favorite thing to do is to buy those books where it's like a, a person's life work from beginning to end in chronological order. And you can almost, I like to watch the the evolution of thought and experiment that that person did over the kind of years and how the different influences um, shifted and, and changed. I mean, I know you, you're also quite prolific in in you know you create art you're a filmmaker you know do you deliberately push yourself into other spaces other than than design is that something that you intentionally do yeah i don't i don't think i ever call myself a, an artist because i think i don't see that high quality of i don't know it's a different thing isn't it but when i came to london first to study at the royal college of art 
it was a place that really pushed us to look at work with almost no brief and make things out of nothing and be able to imagine almost sort of really quite impossible briefs that didn't make any sense. And so it kind of shakes up all this, you know, because we create habits with with clients and the corporate world, especially you start to do things in a way that resonates and, you know, you know, the, almost get your hat with the tricks, right? So it's good to break mm. that. And law college for me was so life-changing because it really made me, you know, I had an incredible mentor who was Margaret Calvert, who I still adore. And she really was, to me, uh, quite, you know, really uh, someone who really is about lateral thinking. And I think that starts to give you confidence to play with many more things. And I also started to make film there. Uh, But lockdown has been incredible for me because even though I wouldn't lie, it's been really hard and I feel like everyone we're exhausted and, you know, I know you've had your share of, you know, experiencing COVID and everything, but, you know, there's people near all of us who are struggling and, and it's not easy. But the one thing that has been interesting is I've because you have to start spend so much time lock, in lockdown, you have to do a lot with very little. And uh, so that's where I started mm. to do a lot more of uh, things which have no meaning or purpose. They are just, it, they're just for pure joy and they don't, I don't need to make any money from them. So all the things that I started to, as you probably have seen, you know, from painting pebbles to painting branches, I love finding in that you know, things like branches and bits of life that uh, has gone uh, and bringing it back and adding color to it. I think color is very present in my work. It's not always like Maholi Nagi doesn't, uh, but in these uh, personal things. And then a lot of sketching and doodling and things which are purely like meditation and they are very relaxing. And uh, I started to do them because I have migraines and it's quite relaxing for the mind to just switch off because we've got so much in the the screen fatigue for everyone has been really, really tough. Mm. So you have to do, to me, doing things which are analog is just a pure joy. Uh, and then they, they sometimes lead to other things, like we did this uh, installation for Pride very recently with this lovely brand called Ali Capellino, which is a British, um, quite idiosyncratic uh, brand, uh, very beautiful. So we did an installation there and. Uh, um, to support a charity in relation to that. So it's, yeah, it, it, things lead to other things always, which is also great. The more you like, again, you collect and think, uh, collect ideas, uh, the more you have opportunities to make them happen. I mean, I love, I love that thinking. Uh, one of the, one of the things I always try and encourage young designers to do is to to not just look at design, is to like look wide and to experience wide because those are always the 
the best interest. And I think it even works with clients because so often we'll have a client say in the insurance world, all they've done is gone and looked at all of the other insurance companies and they're obsessed with how those insurance companies look and what they're saying and what do they have in their websites and what are they all kind of doing and they kind of want to stay inside that. And and I love this idea that things come from other things and I always find the best or the most exciting ideas often leap categories or they leap you know from a book to a design or from a lake to a design or from a stick to a, an installation it's not oh i saw a really good installation so i'm going to copy you know i'm going to take yeah. that, a similar idea and redo it over here which i think can be quite interesting but i think the really profound leaps is often when they come from outside of of whatever discipline it is that you work yeah the really odd connections right i think that's right when we are doing a design for an exhibition or whatever you have to look for well normally i think in in the subject matter there is a lot of digging isn't there and you can find so much that the brief that you find almost produces the design in itself uh, but other mm. than say for example we're just starting to work with the shakespeare theater company in washington and that is really exciting. The director is very progressive. And um, so he was here yesterday in London. We met and, you know, you start to think, how do I bring that his vision, his philosophy and the, what they're trying to do to make Shakespeare relevant today and to, to kind of uh, juxtapose the, that incredible language of Shakespeare with the themes that are still so universal and uh and with all the things that have happened in the world in the last year. Um, so you, by looking into the problem, you start to see solutions and design uh, solutions. And But then also the things that you've been collecting play a real role in, in you know, oh, maybe I can do this like this. So like you said, you don't want to look. I, I never look at these websites to see other people's work because, it's um i know the team does that and i and i think it's good because you want to keep yourself in check and not repeat ideas and stuff but uh, at the same time you know you want to think much further than that and not and hopefully not be influenced just by another piece of graphic design because that feels like um mm. too close to home yeah So, I mean, I love it. It seems like a lot of your work is is for galleries and nonprofits, and you know. But you work at Pentagram, which is the the biggest independent branding agency on earth. And from the outside, it looks and feels like there's this infinite pool of resource um, and unlimited budget to work on these amazing projects. Can you talk a little bit about how you you end up with this mixture of very commercial, when I say very commercial, I mean for commercial entities versus art entities or NGOs, like how do you balance, how do you balance that? And do you approach the work for the different ones in different ways? Or is it, do, you, do you see it all as the same thing? I think uh, in terms of the business model, it's, it's actually funny that there is the image. It's actually when you, <laughs> when you get to know Pentagram, it's, it's like, a, a co-op of very small startups. Each team is a startup, let's say, because we 
each partner is really hands-on and has like six or seven designers around them. Some are smaller, uh, some are a little bit bigger, depending on the, 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 you know, the, uh, what dimension they, they work with, but the type of design. But in general, most of, a lot of the, my projects are very small. I think I have then the odd ones like Rolls Royce, um, which to be honest is even though it's an incredible opportunity and it's a proper client, is not a huge budget compared to any commercial clients because uh, they are quite a boutique brand, if you see what I mean. It's a bit, um, mm. uh, it's all kind of done in a way that is very handmade and very kind of contained. Uh, but yes, I think what brought us to, it's very unusual that we got to do that project, but we won the pitch. We were invited through an art project that we had been doing that they really liked. Uh, so I think what is constant is there are a lot of arts and culture, and the more you do, the more you you kind of are able to to create other things uh, or win other work. And then there is a lot of um, NGOs because I think we really want to work with such things. I think the world is so messed up that, for example, today we we're talking we're going to do is this is a pro bono project that we're doing um for the we're creating a an identity for um they they're creating a memorial uh, it's like a slave memorial in um and the gambia and that is uh, a living memorial so it's going to be a tree per life that was lost to slavery which is a gigantic living memorial so being able to participate wow. in the project like, and meet the people that came up with that. And this, so this morning we were talking, there was people from everywhere, from Africa, from the U.S., from Ireland, uh, from here. And uh, it's such a beautiful, important thing after what happened uh, in the last years. It's, you know, we need to make these things much more, uh, you know, vis uh, visible. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's difficult mm. not to uh, prioritize projects like that because it's such an important, you know, life <laughs> life is really not taken for granted anymore, right? And we have to appreciate um, and and try to to use what we our skills to perhaps do a little bit. Um, uh, so these projects always have a real. Uh, it's very exciting. You you also meet amazing people, like you said. You, you get this window to incredible minds that are doing things which are so much more important than what we do, actually. I mean, I also love that part of that is you then get to collect that uh, those ideas. They, you, you expose yourself to them and then they become yours and you get to carry them into the next project and take that insight and that inspiration into the the other piece um how do you how do you balance your your time i mean you said that you've got a small team how how big is your team i think we're seven or eight i get confused sometimes but yeah it's uh, so i mean you seven people how do you balance yeah. doing do these kind of perceptively projects. big projects <laughs> I think we don't do too many big too many projects at the same time. I think our team actually does possibly more because I just try I mean I feel in 
for me, it's quite a lot of pressure because there's too many, and Daria knows about this, <laughs> there's too many conversations at the same time that you have to be involved and too many mm. visions that you have to help to establish and then, you know, keep uh, working on the design and all of that. So it's, um, yeah, it's it's tough in a way, but it's really fun and amazing. And we get a bit more help when we need as well. We get help of people who know the specialism that we, you know, it, it, for example, uh, strategic help when we need people who uh, really know about, say, sustainability or about social issues that we need to be much more business issues that we need to be really aware of. So we do get different partners to help us with different things. We're doing a charity also for uh, pets, uh which uh, is the, about the connection between pets and people. So how much pets have been really helping humans <laughs> in our times, you know, and, and you know, even pe- pe- a mm. lot of people who are homeless have a pet and they don't, they can't afford. So getting that support. So each of these things, like you said, you learn so much from that specific project and task and the requirements and the what's going on and you have to, you know, get to know. And then you imagine when we did like the Kubrick exhibition, how much, you know, you watch all the films again and you read everything you can about <laughs> Kubrick. And it's just a real, real pleasure and, uh, yeah, privilege. I like that. I mean, you've got, you've got quite a philosophical approach to to the work. Um, and, you know, in, in our earlier interview you were talking about the fact that you always you see design as a way to respond to specific problems like how do you how do you think about that when when clients bring you their briefs which i suppose are essentially problems written down on a piece of paper or in a document yeah i think to be able to create a response uh in design we have to really think about what will help to make a difference, what would help to solve their problem, uh, what would be the vision for that specific um, project that would then result in a design that makes any sense. So it's there's a lot of thinking that has to go to for it to happen and that's what helps you not you never feel that block because you have to be doing your homework you have to be digging into you know whatever it is the subject and in digging you already find answers and that's really fascinating and then there's there's you know accidents happy accidents things that you come across serendipity and like I said and the things that you collect by being present and looking around and paying attention to things that are happening around you and like that you kind of you almost then find the combination of this is the brief and this is what is necessary and uh, and then of course in collaboration I think I really believe in collaboration so with the team you know we start by establishing a vision and sketch then we start to sketch things and create almost like mood boards and everyone brings things to that conversation and it's a bit like cooking together but you you have more experience Mm. so you have to make sure you're the one that really has this 
skin in the game. You have to know that we're going to have to create that vision by tomorrow. It needs to do these things. And, and, um, but everyone really helps to bring, you know, sometimes someone brings something you really didn't expect and it's wonderful. And, uh, or someone starts, but then uh, the other person is much better with, typography or photography and they bring that element and we then start to see mm. we all and if you I think the more collaborative you are the more chances of getting a really robust uh, solution having said that I think it's not designed by committee I think you do need to drive the process and help keep sight of where we're going and that's the role of I'm sure is what you do when you're working as well like a creative director and mm. and etc I mean, I love the the piece I'd love to understand from you is you must be a very convincing human being because you have this collaborative approach and you come up with these ideas and you direct it, but now you still need to convince the client who brought you the problem to actually put this thing into into action. And I can only imagine by seeing some of the solutions, it must be quite difficult to explain a concept that hasn't quite been done yet because I'm trying and experimenting a new thing and I have this idea. How do you get them on board with your vision um, and, and get them to come along for the ride and not not sort of kill the idea with five meetings or 10 meetings that yeah, take it to, sometimes you get to the nowhere? Killing. <laughs> sometimes you get <laughs> the killing and uh, it's, it's a bit sad because sometimes the process kills any creativity and, and you know, if clients are too bureaucratic or afraid to change, you, you don't. But you can't change for the sake of it. You have to do it for a reason. That's why bringing the client along you know, what you found, what you've been researching, what you've heard from the conversations you had with their team, what you're starting to figure out as, uh, you know, the the problem and the challenges, what is the opportunity to do something here that will make a difference, what that business really needs. And then you, you know, slowly are building a path that shows this, you know, and then, yes, I think, I think I, I am quite a Brazilian loud figure that probably drives some people nuts as well in terms of, you know, bringing the sort of <laughs> strong point of view or, but uh, I think with some clients, it really doesn't matter if you, if you are um, convinced and confident or anything, if the work doesn't do it, it's not going to do it. And I think it's, it's, um, but it's the work is also the journey. It really is. And I think we all know that you can create amazing things for, you know, a brief that is uh, fake, like people used to do for winning awards and stuff. I think that's easy. The difficult thing is to make these brave ideas survive the process and really make make it to the real world. Often or sometimes you get a real reduction the more people that there are to comment <laughs> and to feedback and all of that, the more uh, reduced the solution becomes, as you, I'm sure, know. Mm. I mean, I love that. That's what you just said there is make brave ideas survive the process. And I think it is is definitely a process. And part of why we've started this podcast is is to share it with our clients because I think sometimes – people are afraid and that bureaucracy and those kind of layers, it's just fear. It's like organizational fear playing out. 
in no one's willing to sort of stand up and be like, like, I think this is a good idea and let's go for it. Um, you know, and I think that's, that's often testament to when great work is created is that, that it's not just a good creative convincing someone. It's also a good client who's willing to be convinced and almost stand for that work because often it needs to be socialized in that, in that organization to, to survive. Yeah, and I think that normally, especially with branding, if you do see great solutions, it's because you have great clients. I don't think it mm. can, yeah, it can happen otherwise. It really is about the, you know, the the being brave or or having the ability to see what you the the potential of that before. It's a bit like when you. As an architect, you come to a house that is falling apart and you can say, this is what we're going to do here. And this, you know, the light's going to come from here anyway. And this, da, 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 da. we can lose these walls. And so sometimes you come to a house that is in a bad shape and you just think that's never going to work. But if you have the architectural view, you can see the potential of that. Thing and imagine mm. it and then you you know how do you take the client with you do you you know whatever architects do but i think there's a bit of a parallel is being able to see the potential in something that isn't yet in place uh and because the work we do is not just like a poster or one thing it's it's, it's really building the components of a story and they have to imagine how they'll use it and if it doesn't match it feels completely foreign to them. Sometimes it's just not going to work because they need, you need to, even though it's, it needs to feel, you know, uh, sometimes it's a big leap, but it still needs to be born of the DNA of that client. Otherwise it's just crazy, isn't it? <laughs> mm. well, I mean, I love what you said there. Cause it is like our work ends you know, it, it, you hand it over to those people and it's now theirs to, theirs to own, theirs to live in, theirs to fill with meaning, theirs to roll out. Um, you know, and I think sometimes it's, it's tempting to push your own idea onto someone, but it doesn't help if they leave the room and suddenly they don't feel as confident as they were without you standing next to them, convincing them it's a good idea. And that's when the sort of entropy kicks in and the the brand starts to degrade because they don't have the same boldness or same vision or they don't, it doesn't feel right to them. So then it starts to shift um, over time and it ends up as a slightly different space. Yes. And that is a challenge, but I think we have to also be realistic. Say the, project that we were just doing now uh, with the, in Africa, um, the Great Green Wall, which there is a brand for that. We're doing a new sort of frontline side of it. We, we try to tell ourselves, how would you do something if you couldn't even control what type they use or how they, you know, how it's made or anything so that you're not thinking, oh, you need the fancy designer every time to, to do things. Um, so that's how we, mm. um, you know, we, sometimes the brief is let's create a really hackable brand or language. Uh, and that's, um, you know, that's how you keep pushing yourself not to just create something that only an incredible designer is able to use because that's quite unrealistic. 
I mean, I love I love that idea, and I think it's so relevant for for today. It's like, how do you enable people to to roll this thing out? How do you build something that can survive in the hands of not a team of some of the best designers in the world? This is an interesting challenge. So, how do you make it look as good as you would have made it look if you know that they're not going to build it? So yeah. when, I mean, when do we get to see this beautiful work? When do we get to play with the great green wall brand that has no fonts and no no elements yeah, to it? it, will, it I mean, it's very simple, that one. But I think they, they, they already have brands that exist for that project because you probably know it's a project that has been going on for a while. But now they needed something for more for sort of the activist side of it, for the, the mm. people who are really planting trees and creating the movement and, and uh, engaging more people. Oh, look, I got some water. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and um, so it's like uh, one of the dimensions of this much bigger project that already exists. So, yeah, let's see. I think only time will tell whether, they, you know, it will all make sense. But it's been – it's just as one of the examples and, and like – all these others that you mentioned, I think we tend to create many, in many instances, brands that are uh, allowing constant change, starting from Tate, which was one of the first always changing brands and it is pre-digital. So it's, um, it's very much, I think, part of what is required of a brand in our times, isn't it? Not always. There are things which are still very, pristine and untouchable and <laughs> um but you know a lot of what we tend to work with is is um is creating those kinds of systems i mean i think that's such a such a great note to end on i think you've you've opened up my thinking and hopefully some people who listen to this will will be more open to letting those but brave ideas survive the boardroom so marina thank you so much for for coming on the podcast for the second time it was sort of a pleasure for me so i might delete these files so we can do this for for a third time um <laughs> yeah you're gonna get bored <laughs> <laughs> thank you so uh, much it's really lovely to talk to you every time and and all the best with everything and hope you fully recover from the covid that you just had um yeah thank see you. you soon and take care Awesome, and we'll catch everyone in the next one. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. We believe that sharing knowledge is an obligation. So if you know someone who's building a brand or needs some inspiration for their brand, please share this podcast with them. This is our third season, and we'd be grateful if you'd hit that subscribe button so you're the first one to know when a new episode comes out. Or even better... Leave us a review and tell the world how much you enjoy listening. This really helps. One more question is brought to you by the people at NiceWork. NiceWork is a purpose-driven company helping people who want to make a dent in the world by building brands that people give a shit about. We're based in Johannesburg, South Africa and serve companies around the world. If you'd like to know more, partner with us or make a suggestion, reach out at www.nicework.co.za. And if you're one of those really old school people, send us a letter and we'll make you a mixtape. <laughs>